1: BritFlix.com podcast. It's the BritFlix.com podcast. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today with me I've got uh, writer, actor Johnny Owen and actor Vicky McClure. Hello.
2: Hello. How are you doing?
1: I'm all right, I'm all right. Now, you're both involved with the film *Svengali*. We are uh, Johnny. You you wrote and star in it, and Vicky, you star in it. Yeah. Um, first off, Johnny, do you want to give us a sort of brief synopsis of the story, and maybe your character Dixie, and then
2: Vicky, if you want to give us a bit of an insight into Shell. Yep, yeah, sure. Go on, John. It's basically it's a story. Uh, it's set in the in the murky world of rock and roll, and it's about a, a postman from Wales who's always dreamt of discovering the next big thing. And he sees a band on the internet on YouTube. He's convinced this is what music needs. You know, the answer to sort of X Factor and the current malaise. And off he sets to London to manage the band. And it's about sort of his adventures in in trying to get this band signed and the people he meets along the way and. Uh, and sort of the, the trouble that he gets embroiled in, um, it's, it's, it's a classic story of somebody going to the to the big city to try and make it rich, I suppose, uh, or to try and make it big. Um, and uh, Alan McGee gave me a great line once, because uh, I obviously started them online, I'll talk about this later. Yeah, and yeah, said, yeah. But, um, rock and roll is the only industry in the world where bad behaviour is actively encouraged. And I thought, what a great premise for any kind of drama and comedy in that. And uh the sort of I, I went away and sort of I thought, you know, that's that's a perfect background for putting this character in that scenario. So that's kind of the basic synopsis of it, Vic.
3: Yes, I play Shell. Um, and basically she's the she's the main support for Dixie in his journey to go and manage this <laughs> band who are completely reckless. Um and, yeah, she's she's the girlfriend, she's the support, and uh, I'd say she's the brains behind it in some ways. <laughs> but, yeah,
2: she's just rock, certainly, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, kind of pulls You've said that
3: before, which is why I've nicked it, but it's probably not quite so accurate. She's not not quite the brains, but, yeah. She's she certainly She's, she's on oh, like, oh, the though. rudder,
1: hasn't she? She certainly makes sure it goes in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah, but
3: then that's what women do,
1: generally. <laughs> is that right? Kind of
2: Life-reflecting
1: art, life <laughs> <to watch> it <laughs> Now, you're... you're um, I mean, I'm in London now. Not from London. Are you guys based in London now?
2: Well, we, I was for uh, several years, obviously, and a lot of my experience, first arriving, is 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 there in the film. We've now moved up to Nottingham because uh, that's where Vicky's from, and we're okay. together in real life, as they say. Okay. Um, and she got quite homesick in in London, so we ended up going back up to the East Midlands. And a very fine city it is, too. I have to say.
1: That is life imitating art, quite literally, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, yeah. literally. I mean,
2: even sort of. The journey of of me trying to get the band signed kind of reflected what happened with me trying to get the film signed <laughs> to a distributor and things later on. It was amazing. Well,
1: let, let, let's let's rewind the clock because the first time I came across Sven Gali was ages before that I found out about the film. Um yeah. I was watch. I was one of the one of your viewers for the web series. Oh, bless you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a friend of. Uh, one of, your, one of your Valley colleagues, Tracy, Tracy Mobley.
2: Oh, you've met her Tracy. She came to the Welsh premiere on Tuesday night. The yeah, Tracy yeah, movie.
1: yeah. I, inter- I interviewed Tracy when I used to write for uh, magazines like Days of Confused and
2: stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, She's yeah, a very, yeah. Interesting, so, very interesting woman, isn't she? Indeed, indeed. And, and
1: <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, this, this podcast prompted me to catch up with her. I've not seen her for ages, so I was out with her
2: last week. Oh, that's lovely. I mean, I'm probably going to see her... Um, Morgan to see her this this Tuesday for the London premiere. She's spending a lot more time in Wales now, but uh, she's a native of Shoreditch as well. Where Indeed she much is. of the film is set, you know, a very well known face around there. So yeah, so let's let's
1: do you want do you want to talk about the genesis of guy then as a as a web series long before it was it was a it was a film because because I'm, I'm assuming there was a there was a want to get it onto TV first.
2: There was. I mean, what happened was, I kind of had the germ of the idea back in, I think it was 2008, and it shows how much things have changed, certainly in a, in a technological sense, in that Twitter had only just started, and uh, it used to take me hours to load it up onto YouTube, and you couldn't put more than sort of six and a half minutes up, so all those sort of, I suppose, constraints were, you know, informed how I did it, but I just sort of had the idea that... Um, The internet is full of stuff you know like kids on skateboards and people falling off ladders or whatever was there a possibility of putting something up with a story and a narrative and 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 seeing what people thought and it got um, a great response very quickly it was picked up by the Evening Standard and uh, they said it was the best thing on the net which was amazing Mm. and then we got Alan McGee in it very quickly and um, and then more and more people sort of said they wanted to be in it but obviously I was constrained these sort of five minute episodes and I was flirted with by every broadcaster production company there was I I think I went in to see everybody and lots of different sort of people offered and said this and said that but what happened was I had a great bit of advice from a Quite an unlikely source, Tim Lovejoy contacted me quite early doors, and he was running an online channel called Channel B at the time. Okay. And uh, he sort of said to me, look, you know, I I love it and all the rest of it, but alas, that little channel went bust, and he had to go back onto mainstream television. This was about 2009, and he said to me, try and hold on to it for as long as you can, because the longer you hold on to it, the more successful it becomes, the more power you'll have when it finally, you know gets made into whatever it's going to be made into, which is very, you know, interesting advice. And I did that. I, I stuck out that. And by the time a private investor got involved to make it into a movie, which seems a fantastical jump from a web series, they gave me total creative control, uh, which is was amazing. So I kind of had to sort of, I, you know, I had to stand and fall really by the decisions I made. But it was, I liked that. I know it sounds, it's a lot of pressure, but I liked it because it kind of made me have to man up really and say, well, I'm going to have to do this, you know, after years of saying, I could do that and do it better. Um, But I got the position where the the investors literally left me alone to make the film. We made the film, we took a hell of a chance and then we showed it to to distributors and I think the second distributor that saw it was Universal and they said, we want it. So that was it. We were kind of, you know, straight away in a position where you go into that never-ending sort of chain of waiting to sort of see when it's going to go out and it took about, let me see, from being signed to them seeing it almost a year till they found the window that they said was the best window for us and ready to hit cinemas.
1: Okay okay and I guess I guess with it being, being the web series, you kind of had the best sort of training ground to, 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 to make sure your stories stack up and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, and your character, and your character of Dixie, obviously is is yeah, fully was, formed. Yeah,
2: it was almost listen, it was almost bloody uh, four years in development, really. And what happened was, I had uh, the amazing Henry Normal, who a lot of people say is one of the best script editors in in the country. Mm-hmm. I had him all, all. He came on board as an exec producer, and he was all over me for the script. So I had to sort of really nail it down you know he'd sort of say to me you know the mechanics of script breaking why does he do that and why is that happening why does that character do that and the trajectory he was just amazing you know it was an amazing education and he kind of sort of really put me through the mill in that sense and you know it was an amazing sort of experience to have him coming back with notes and and you know I, I, I couldn't have been in better hands really but it was a long process of me thinking of how the series would expand into a, a, a series on television or a film. So I, I was able to sort of call on those ideas that I'd been developing over a few years, really, and say, look, I think, you know, I would have, obviously, you saw the web series. I would have, I wanted to bring the prems into it. That was a very important part. I mm. expand Michelle's part. I wanted to send him back home to Wales. So I was able to do all those things in the film. I was going to say, like, where, did, where did that, because
1: that's, the, the shells, role. Uh, Vicky's role as Shell is, is one that's not in the web series, but obviously one that's important to the film.
2: yeah absolutely i mean that was i mean i needed a strong kind of female character and also a strong family base because i mean a lot of my family is in his family in the sense of you know i come from a, a very traditional working class background that was really rock solid and, and, and very <laughs> nice to grow up in. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, British films do tend to be, as you would know better than anybody, sometimes very kitchen sink or, you know, and, and traumatic or, you know, sort of you know, period piece dramas. I've always thought, where's the where's the bit in the middle, you know, where most of us kind of live and survive? Yeah, yeah, you know? no. So I thought that, and I thought I'm going to do that in this film. You know, those those things that a lot of people have picked up on where everybody tries to give him money when he goes back home. You know, he was a tenor. doesn't matter how old you are. Your father always tried to chuck oh, that tenner at you or your mother. So I try to get all those things incorporated into it that, you know, sort of I'd experienced and, and, and... I still
1: you know, get that when they come visiting me. Never mind. I know, it's I'm mad, going. isn't
2: it? doesn't matter how old you are. I think we could win, we could win the lottery. There's still got to be a moment where they go, you are, here's a fiver. You know, get yourself a few pints tonight or something. Or have a but car- it must
1: admit that, that's to be applauded in your film. That, 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 that There's there's obviously cynicism towards the music industry that runs all the way through it, but it doesn't mean that the people have to be awful and, you know, and, and having a hard time and everything. It's just, you know, pe- people get on with their lives, don't
2: they? That's the thing that well, they do. I mean, that's why I wanted to set it in, because the, 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 obviously I was in a band myself in the mid-90s, and, yeah. and it's such a it's such a hyper-reality film, uh, sorry, music, and, and I was talking to this, a lot of the characters were based on characters I remember, you know, I remember this sort of, somebody was, the Mancunian is based on, was very well known in the music industry, it was always obviously on Coke, you know, in the mid-90s, isn't it? constantly at 100 miles an hour those kind of people that I remember very vividly and I thought there's great scope there to put those in the film and then when he goes back home to this very ordinary family and again Henry gave me a great line you know he said you need people to be going why did you even go to London you know you've got this amazing background and family and support system and mates and why are you even there you know in this horrible murky world but you know the lights and 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 the idea of being famous like he said at the start being known as a great Svengali wanting to leave your mark on the world is a great draw you know it's what goes on all over the world people migrate to big cities to try and make their fortune a name it's just you know it's just a, almost part of human nature but the irony of course is we get to a certain age and we go you know what actually is important is being happy and having a nice family life and being in love and all the, all the, the cliches but the truth as you get older where you go you know what that's not important actually being Pete Doherty What's has important is the guy that's really happy with his job and his you know having his no, mates totally, totally. in a pub on the weekend so I wanted to get that across as well you know.
1: Yeah, as as someone that used to manage a band, uh, I can I can vouch for the hyper reality <laughs> yeah. for sure. I, I have to ask did you, did did you did you play with the excess then? Did
2: you yeah, play? I mean I played with the excess I played the Stereophonics. I we were signed. We had all the trappings that you could want. You know, I tasted the sort of the most glorious fruit of all, which is the fruit of rock and roll success. You know, played big gigs and got flown to New York first class. Did all those things when I was in my twenties, and I was such. I mean, I know we all look back at ourselves, but I was—we were such obnoxious little bastards. And the thing is, like you're saying, you—you you, a manager of a band yourself? It's such a bloody thankless task, you know, being a manager. All you get is grief and them demanding to know why they aren't on the front cover of the NME and why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? So you have to almost skillfully negotiate egos all the time. It's—it's it's, uh, it's, it's, a—it's—it's—it's amazing sort of thing to be a manager of a band. I the, think the you know, best I think...
1: advice I ever got was somebody saying. Sit the band down and say, sometimes when we meet, there won't be any news.
2: Yeah, so true, so true. We used to get our manager. We used to have a guitarist, Lee, and our manager said years after, I used to dread his phone call because he used to always open the conversation by going, "What's happening then?" <laughs> and, and Paul said, "Because he said I used to make things up because I used to feel so under pressure. Oh, well, I've done this and I've done that, and these are really interested." And he said, "Of course, what you do is you find yourself fabricating, lying, really, and of course that's the worst thing because then a week later he goes." What happened to that gig? And what happened to that thing you were going to do? And what happened to that retro company? So it is a it's a, it's a awful thing to be in because I, I, I you know it's the same in an acting sense. I was talking to Vicky about it. All a manager can ever do is get the A and R man to see you. If you're yeah. good enough, they'll sign you. All your agent can ever do is get you the, the audition. It's up to it's up to you to get the part. You know. Yeah. But a lot of the time, the artist, bless them, and I'm one, we tend to sort of our egos can't cope with that sometimes so we need something to blame, we just do. And so that blame goes somewhere else and generally it's the manager or the agent that gets it, you know, and so all that happens in the film, you know, where they go into him, you know, they even saying to him, why did you drag us up here?" So he's, You know, three stops on the tube, that was a line I heard you know, from, from us once when we were staying in the Columbia and we had to go meet up in Notting Hill and I was going, why have you dragged us three stops on the tube you know, on the central line? I can remember that in the mid-90s looking back, what an obnoxious thing to say at the start of a of, an, of a of a meeting <laughs> vicky
3: yeah
2: yeah uh you you i was i was
1: reading it, uh, you, your brushwood kind of pop and was was um was working with madonna as far as that. <laughs> i mean
2: yeah,
1: have you, uh, be, before, genre, you into, before you go into before you got before talking about that kind of starstruck thing um have, have you have you been in bands and stuff is that something you've is that in your past as well
3: no, I've never been in bands. I used to dance, though. I danced from the age of three. Um, so I was always into performing, in, you know, in some way. But, um, no, I've, I'd like to have think, you know, I could have been the front runner for some band, but... Well, she's kind of, it's, she's it's hiding like under a
2: bushel used to it because she's a, it's a touch of the, the Nottingham female Billy Elliot here because she was accepted into the Royal Ballet as a kid, was not you?
3: Well... I nearly did. It was because I've got quite weak ankles, so when I went on point, I was never going to, you know, be strong enough. So actually, I didn't quite get accepted. But you know, if I ha- if I had better ankles, I- it would have gone my way.
2: she be in Swan leg, no, rather. i be in Swan Lake. No
3: be in Swan
1: Lake. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, g- given the interview just done, it's not something I'd, I'd have asked. i have because I never thought about it this way because I don't act. But the way that that, that, that James Webb described uh, uh, Neil Maskell's approach. To getting ready for the character that he was playing in the film, I just wonder from your point of view, Vicky, what was what was your approach to Shell, and does that differ from? Do you have a way of preparing for characters, or was it particularly?
3: Um, To be fair, this was this was the first time in any role where I've played a character that's very close to my own character. Okay. Um, So, in terms of kind of you know doing any sort of method or. you know working on a character in in quite an intense way I didn't really need to do it with this we played around with you know what what we expected her fashion to be like and what kind of music she'd be into and you know her background and obviously I have got my own accent so we've got a bit of a backstory there and Mm. you know I think all that's extremely important in any job you do you've got to know who you are and where you came from and um, you know, because Johnny was really flexible as well with sort of letting me improvise in certain ways. If you don't have that kind of information, it's a dangerous place to be, really, because you can't play around with it. Um, but no, she was, you know, she was a lot of fun to play because I could I could kind of use a lot of my own humour and all that kind of thing, which was, you know, a real pleasure.
1: And, and um, in terms of the, the the writing of it then, were you... Being, were you together before the film was made or as the film was made or as,
2: as the film was being
3: as made <laughs> As really it was okay. um it was an organic process i think
1: i mean i'm know. not being nosy it's just more the fact that the process of <laughs> of writing the character and then how and then having sort of conversations well, it was, about developing when it i in first the
3: spoke to johnny yeah
1: um
3: you know i'd read the script and if i'd have just gone on the script all day long it you know it would have been great and um you know, he'd already done the virals and that character already was already sort of in place, but he wanted to obviously make me, give me the chance to sort of adapt it and do do some different things with it. So I sort of rang him and sent him a picture of me with a scarf on my head and bright red lipstick and a leather jacket. And mm. that's how I pictured her. Okay. And I think after that, Johnny kind of just, you know, adapted some of the script a bit to to what we were playing around with. But... It was already kind of there, and we just, you know, sometimes it, it's a bit like the Meadows effect. You kind of get on set, and sometimes it just changes to what it was in the script, and that's why it's such a organically special film. And you know, when you watch it, it just feel very real, as much as the comedy. is Sometimes, you know, it's quite out there. It's all possible.
1: Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. Makes no, it no.
3: even funnier, really.
1: Yeah. No. That. That kind of. I mean, we, we're not. We're not always good at kind of heartwarming in British drama. We have to. We have to make everybody. We yeah to punish everybody for being alive like yeah a,
3: yeah
1: as if as if life is one you know we're just waiting to go to heaven and life's punishment
3: mm. yeah no it's it the thing is with fun that's the whole point is, you know he's from a good family he's got from a good home there's there's no major tragedies do you know what mm. I mean it's um the tragedy is getting this bloody band together mm. and the nightmare that occurs and obviously you know Johnny's father um Dix's father and it is is dying and um it's a it's a tragic story, but it's it's one that's happening, you know, all the time to every single one of us and it's not played it's I find it a really emotional scene to watch, but you know, it's played to, for real, it's not played for tears, I don't think.
2: No, I I think, you know, obviously Brian, the, the actor was, was very ill in real life as well, you know, so yeah really? sort of think long and hard about that but it was quite we played father and son quite a few times and, and spoke about stuff and i mean brian was you know without wanting to get too wanky about it but brian was, was meant to represent a part of wales as dying out as well those industrial men who, who we don't have anymore because mm. obviously there's no minds left so there's no you know there's no sense of there's no, there's no continuation of them so you know that whole speech was meant to represent a generation of men that are going you now that were very strong, you know, they went underground at fifteen, that behaved a certain way, they they joined a union, they kind of they stayed married for life and all the things my father did really, you know, mm. and, and behaved a certain way and had a certain set set of standards and, and morals which were, I thought, you know Quite incredible, and, and and sadly are you know being lost, you know. But you know, life changes. That's what it's all about, and all this. And I didn't want to get nostalgic about it. I just wanted to say it the way it is. And Johnny, quite...
1: Johnny, you had you had me at that um, the scene where you just stood next to your dad, in, yeah, you, and you're you, in your it. postman's and you're in your postman's outfit, yeah, and nothing's being said, but obviously everything's being said because it's kind of like he's really saying, "I love you, son. Good luck."
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. You know. And he, he kind of only only Brian could have played that part in the way he did because he'd worked in the steelworks, in Eberville and then had this extraordinary life where he'd been, you know, a pop star, a soap star, a film star, a, a present. I mean, an amazing guy mm. and and somebody that you know I knew would be able to sort of carry that off. And I was aware that he was ill, and I spoke to him and said, you know. I've written this part and, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit close to home, but, you know, and he, and he comes straight back, read the part when I really want to play it. And, um, I mean, he, he passed away not long after we finished oh. filming, but his wife did say that he it gave him a, a lease that last, you know, sort of month where we filmed and stuff where he wanted to do it desperately. And so there's a lot of poignancy in those in those scenes and the way he talks and the advice he gives. And, you know, there's a, there's a great moment where he sort of says to me, he says the story about going Underground at fifteen, which was the story my grandfather told me where they knocked the lights off first day just to sort of just have a laugh and test you. Yeah. But he says that great line where he goes, I I I was I was nervous, but I didn't show it. I <laughs> just him saying that, is him is him saying to his son, you know there's going to be rough times in life, and you—you you, those men, you've got to keep a game face. You know, we all sort of fall about too easy sometimes. You know, and go, oh, this, well, we, you can't do that. Sometimes when the going gets rough, you've got to man up, really. You know, and I, I love the fact that he sort of said that to him, where he was going to him. You know, it's never. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm going now. I'm, I'm leaving this, this plane, this earth. But you know what? Life's up and down, and sometimes you've just got to man up. You know, but and I, I like the fact that Brian, the way he said that.
1: And 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 he's 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 one of many sort of faces that people watching it will 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 recognise. Um, I mean, along with Vicky, you've got you've got Martin Freeman, you've got Maxine Peake, you've got Matt Berry, and one of my faves, uh, Michael Smiley, yeah. uh, as well as cameos with people like Alan McGee. Um, how do you go about getting a cast like that for a for a film?
2: I mean, basically, what I did was um, I wrote the script, and obviously, the reputation of the viral was quite strong and solid and um and I sent the script out and uh, you know touch word I'm saying now I got a hundred percent hit rate. I, I I really Martin was the first one to fall into place. Martin contacted me, he seen the viral Martin Freeman and said he loved it. And could he be in it? And I kind of went, Yeah, you know, I loved Martin in the office. It was really weird. It was like a perfect storm, just as he did the viral. He got a part, he told me, in a series of Sherlock Holmes. And it was actually one of those ones where I just went, all right, okay, you don't think, you know, because it's yet another remake. And then about two months later, he said to me, I got a part as The Hobbit. Yes. And I was like, hell, you know. So it was there was an amazing sort of, you know, um, momentum started behind Martin. And what happened was the private investors that got involved were looking to go to the film said that if you can get Martin to do this film, we will provide the funding for the for the script to make it amazing really and I emailed Martin and he was in New Zealand and he sent an email back it's quite amazing just two lines three lines going I will do this film I am back on these dates and I will film for Johnny for Svengali and that was it the money dropped simple as that on an email that Martin sent he came home and he filmed his scenes we had to film him a week before we started the proper filming because obviously it was tight for Martin he flew yeah. home from New Zealand filmed Svengali I asked Maxine Peake. I had this weird thing, Stuart. I don't know what it is. I always thought Maxine Peake and Martin looked like a great mod couple. So I approached, because she was in the Northern Soul as well, and obviously Martin's a mod. Okay. And um, I approached her and she said yes. Um, And I think what happens is once Martin Freeman's on a film, you go to other actors and you go, Martin Freeman's attached. They kind of go, oh, okay, that's i'm interested you know and i'm I'm up for it Mm. but the 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 other big one obviously was vicky i heard her on radio one before christmas being interviewed by edith bowman she came across as very funny and warm you know a a, a lot more to her than just lol you know and Mm. and i thought you know, maybe she's up to a comedy. I didn't know. She just won the BAFTA. I mean, everybody was after her like <laughs> they are now. But, you know, bless her, I said to the script, and she, she came on board. And once, once Vicky had dropped, as they say, into the film, I didn't really care then after. I was kind of like just going, it doesn't really matter. I know, we'll get tried for these other actors like Kieran Griffiths, I really wanted from Shameless to play the monk. and If we get them, brilliant. But they all said yes, you know. But uh, it was Martin and Vicky that pivotal to the film. And From, from an actor's it, point
1: of view, then, Vicky.
3: Sorry, say that
1: from an actor's point of view. When when yeah. you're sent a script, what are you looking? What what are you looking for when when you pick it up?
3: I'm just hoping I get to read it to the end. I'm joking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair um, point. It's a fair point.
3: It is a fair point. And you know what? There are certain scripts where you pick it up and you kind of go, "Oh, this is going to be hard work. I've got to read it because it could get better." Yeah. You no, know, and I could be missing something here. So you do you read the whole thing, but you know Svengarly for me was um it came at the right time at the perfect time more than anything because I wasn't so much looking for a comedy and you know ringing my agent and saying send me comedy scripts mm. but I've been doing comedy at the tv workshop you know since I was 11 years old we was always messing about with different characters you know um and funny things and I, I massively enjoyed it it's just you know because of the roles that I've had I've always kind of been sent darker and more serious strong female roles which is you know brilliant because I love playing them but it's when this came through I thought I haven't seen anything like this before um the character I absolutely love the character and I desperately want to play her but Mm. I love all the characters around her you know I loved Horsey he was you know he's a right arse in it but he's a great character and I spoke to Johnny on the phone and you know what I just thought I want to work with him every Mm. single day because he was on the same level as me. We had, you know, the same idea and I know when you know that you're going to work with good people, Mm. that makes even more difference. You know, put the script aside. If you're working with people that aren't on the same page as you and you haven't got things in common and you're not going to want to work in the same kind of way, you know, it's going to be a rough ride. So the fact that me and Johnny got on well so quick and, um, you know, he did tell me, yeah, we've got people like Martin Freeman and Maxine Peake and obviously it's appealing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even if Martin and Maxine and all these people weren't in it, I'd have still gone with it.
1: And, and ultimately, she still is a, Shell still is a strong character, isn't she? She's not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just not than is, is it? I've I,
3: I kind of described her as a bit fluffy because she's kind of You know, she's not girly-girly, but she likes dresses, and she likes to wear bright colours, and, you know, she is girly, she's definitely got that, but she's got this strong edge to her, um, which is why Dixie and Shell are such a good balance, because, you know, that's where Dixie sometimes sort of, you know, that's where he's not not such a strong character in... um, you know, He'll just do whatever anybody asks, whereas Shella be the one to step in and say, no, don't do that, just because they've told you to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely,
1: definitely.
3: Um, but, yeah, I mean, to me, they, they're beautiful. When I sort of, when we was working on it, it was obviously a lot of fun and we enjoyed it, but I remember when I started to watch the edit... And, you know, everybody that's seen the film that's come up to us afterwards, they've always gone, you know, their their chemistry and connection is just, you know, second to none. And, yeah, fine, we're together, so there's going to be an extra... You know, you can't get that if you're not genuinely in love or, or you know, together. But, um, you know, we, we were acting and we're not the characters. Mm, of course. It was... It, you know, it means a lot to me that people have captured that and there's nothing nicer than seeing a genuinely in love couple on screen that have got each other's backs you know
1: yeah i know she she she's kind of riding the same wave of optimism that dixie is just
3: oh she's uprooted to london with him you know she's living in the flat of hell it's like she's you know she knows that he's she knows that he's passionate and his passion is just the same as johnny's passion for the film's Fangali. you know he's he's literally lived and breathed to this since the day you know him and i keep saying horsey
0: yeah, <laughs> Roger.
3: Roger, um, you know, even thought about it, and you've got to be dedicated, and you've got to love what what it is you're doing. And Dixie's definitely got that in the film, and John certainly got that with, you know, the creating of Sven Gali.
1: And, and you, you touch upon. I mean, it, Horse is My favorite was my favorite character in the, in the <laughs> viral. and because obviously having worked in 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 the music business, as it were, he he's very representative of a certain strand despite, despite oh, obviously you've got the relationship with Dixie to play in there, but yeah. certainly that I haven't got a clue really what's going on, but I'm in it. Yeah, it's,
2: it's a very accurate representation. It's that classic guy as well. You know, there's that dynamic in the film which we spoke, you know, about me and Roger. Is that he's he's the successful record label manager, but of course the irony is he's the most clueless when it comes to music. And there's a lovely moment where Roger says to him, "How do you do it? You know, how do you how do you discover the bands? You know, how do you know about sort of you know the Roses and when you were, when you were kids and the Jam and whatever? So there's like there's that thing where he's kind of even admitting there in a, in a moment of sort of you know truthfulness. You know, how come it's you then, You know, you may come out, you act like the idiot, but how come we found this band, you know? And something he can't do, even though he's up there. And he's that classic guy as well. He's moved to London. Mm. You know, a lot of people do it, you know, and fair enough to them, they invent a new life, you know? They go away and they're Brian now. They're not horsey anymore. and they, You know, they, they want to forget the previous life when they grew up and, you know, being in the in the sticks. Because now they're a successful sort of, you know, cosmopolitan London person.
1: Well, yeah, no, and that's what made, that, that contrast is what made, um, obviously, Dixie's return back to the valleys are the more pertinent in the way the film was done. You know, the fact yeah. that you, the Dixie character, has no truck, we're going back, you know, what was there is important. Whereas, obviously, Brian's character is basically waved bye bye to that the minute he got off the train.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, there's, there's the, you know, he's, he's, like you said, he's, he's got, you know, he's in, he's in G Star now and he's got his, you know, got his Shoreditch beard and he's designer glasses and he's got a lovely flat on the Docklands. You know, he's, why would he want to go back to Wales? You know, Wales was, you know, a rainy grey place for him you know I did so like it, his
1: jacket though i must admit
2: Said so again yeah i know I did like great. his jacket um, but we did speak about that you know when he sort of you know he obviously wanted a leather satchel man bag and stuff yeah yeah you sort of did, it's beautiful really what he said i remember filming that 2 years ago and he had sort of those um those weird trousers they wear that they roll up. What do they call them? Like shallots or what do they call them? Those trousers. Those weird trousers that are almost halfway up to your knee and tight. Oh, I can't be doing it. Yeah, I know what you mean. but yeah. like Circus knit, pants, but... I think, can't I? Yeah, not um, Yeah, so he had a pair of them on, you know, and that was right where they were first being worn, you know, and now they're, they're very fashionable. They? <laughs> but, um, so, you know, he thought long and hard about that, Rog, as the character, and he was brilliant. But, I mean, everybody says, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's the most defining moment of a Welshman in pants, probably since Reese Evans in Notting Hill, those (laughs) pants that he's got. But what he did was, we went to this flat to film, and um, we shouldn't really say this, and he found a pair of knickers that were uh, tiger print, and he put them on. So they were knickers, they weren't even pants. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very Roger.
3: graceful. (laughs) Which
2: is very Roger, you know. That's That's a man living for
1: his art. He's living for his art there, I guess. But again, going back to moments, that little little few minute or two in, in his apartment,
2: yeah,
1: where he's showing his vulnerable side, for want of a better expression.
2: Yeah,
1: and so Dixie's still wonderfully unaware of really what's going on because Dixie just lives his life like that, you know. Yeah, it, it is emo- It is all emotional. You're not having to hide it. No. Um, I thought that was done really. I thought that was done really well. Um, again, it's not about what's said; it's about what's not said in many senses.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that kind of thing. He's. Do you know when you first, you know, everybody has had their heart broken once or twice in life, you know, whatever mm. type. and those first few uh, days where you're, you're almost as if you're underwater, you know, it's almost like as if you're thinking about constantly about something else other than the world that's going on. And with Dixie, like you said, you know, I'm glad you picked up on that. He's just split up a shell, and that has kind of almost overwhelmed him. You know, that mm. he's lost shell. You know, and he's, so he's actually saying that thing where he's going, "This all doesn't matter now. I just need to get home." He's panicking you know, I need to get home so I can start again and think about getting her back and everything else like the band and stuff has just slipped and, you know, and so Horsey like you're saying, beautifully waits for that moment where he can slip in really as well so he's kind of, he opens up but as soon as he opens up, he kind of he's the shark guy, he's coming in again and he's and he's waiting for the moment where he can ride in on the back of, of what Dixie's going to do so you know, Dixie, like you said, in that, that Point is in kind of an emotional shock as well, where Shell has finally left him. I kind of seen him as that couple we've never spent a day apart. You know, Mm. know, those couples who, like since the day they've met, they've practically moved into bed together and and been together ever since. So for one of them to leave would literally, you know, be you know a trauma, a trauma really for the other one. You know, for them both, obviously, because Shell's the same. She's on the extension straight away, listening for him when he's ringing. But it's really clever
3: as well because I remember in the edit them saying something like you know in from the start it's shell and dixie all the way through the film
2: yeah
3: and then for a really big chunk of the film dix uh, shell's just not around
2: no I, I did that in the script on yeah. and she loses she comes skips away from his life it's yeah.
3: really really clever though because mm-hmm. the audience are kind of going where the hell has she gone Yeah, and you see him sort of on his own with this band and you know um i just thought that was really clever you could have kept you know cutting back to what she's doing and all this kind of stuff and you know they just they let her go, which I no, think we had was th-
2: great. You had to, we had to feel as the viewer the loneliness of 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 him by shell not being there, you know. And I did that thing that um, Scorsese did very well with Goodfellas, where he famously wrote shorter and shorter scenes as as the film went on, where his life spun more out of control. And I did that with Svengali, where as as he as he breaks it, it was flat, and he goes to Scotland, and he and it almost like speeds up where he's out of control, and the film feels like it's you know it's very quick, sharp. Um, scenes where, you know, we get a reflection of how his life is, really, where he's kind of almost, you know, losing hours as he's travelling around and doesn't quite know where he is, really. Yeah, I
1: mean, he he doesn't have a life without Shell, does he? That's the thing that you get without even even the fact you don't see her. You know that that's all that's occupying his mind.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we spoke quite long and hard about in the montage in Scotland where he's in the train, you know, we just caught a moment of him just gazing, you know, that the pain that he's in, you know, he's in so much pain where he's trying to... And he believes that by getting the band signed, as McGee has told him that great line, get the band signed and get the girl back, flicks him mm. back into action again, you know, which was mm. something my older brother told me once. I, I, I split up with a girl and he went to me, you know, if you if you get this, you know, job or whatever, and show you're all right again, you know, she'll come back to you, you know, that kind of classic sort of rubbish male advice you get about how to get a girl back, you know, so he's kind of got that, you know, going on as well, and he's clung on to it, you know, which we do in desperation, but he's gone, yes, that's the secret, if I get the band signed now, she'll come back to me, you know, which is, that actually was completely wrong. The irony was, you know, you would get it back by walking away from the band.
1: As well as as well as the the kind of tender moments that I was that, that, that I liked and I've pointed out is that the bit that really makes it cinematic is your is the beautiful contrast between what is London and what is the valleys, which 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 is which really helps set the mood. But also there's there's a little bit of kind of I don't know whether it's, whether you'd call it ambition or not, but the the. The scene when when this is the, without giving it context, hopefully it's not a spoiler. But when you do go to Scotland, yeah, and you're in the canoe, yeah. <laughs> now it would have been easier from a writing point of view, wouldn't it, to set that in a pub? Yes. <laughs> and suddenly we're like, how far is he out of London? He's this far.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like I was. It's meant to sort of represent, how, like as just as you said, you picked it up perfectly. How far out of his own body he is at that point how far away he is from everything that he is grounded slightly sort of like lovely naive welshman who really yeah. likes music at that point you know he's on he's on he's on the roller coaster and he, he just don't know where he's gonna gonna end up and i spoke quite long and hard about scotland and, and wales that it should look massively cinematic wide yeah. shots of of the, you know open space and mountains and lakes which is what those sort of celtic countries are yeah. and the color also slightly different because The Celtic people, you know, uh, Welsh, Irish, Scottish, are slightly different to the sort of English, more Germanic people and Nordic people in in the way they are. You know, the the personalities of the people, something in the DNA is slightly more whimsical, I would say, Mm. you know, slightly more... Sort of, you know, there's, there's stories about fairies and, and 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 leprechauns and all those kind of classic things. So I wanted to make the colour a little bit different as well, and we did that. And the cameraman, the camera lady was brilliant on that. Where we said we really need to open the camera up on these bits and and to and to colour it slightly different, so that you're almost in like a different country. Well, yeah, and no, 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 yeah, I, I,
1: it, it definitely worked. Well, from my point of view, it definitely worked. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, congratulations on that.
2: You're the first person to pick up on that. Well done, Stuart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do I get a prize? You do, actually, yeah. <laughs> well, look, like I mean, you know, I'm from the North West, so I'm not, uh, you know, with a bit of Irish and Scottish blood in me, so
2: I'm... Uh... That's probably where it is. Do you know, we've got a lot of support. Always a lot of support from the North West, Liverpool and Manchester, those areas. And yeah. They've both picked up on it for cinema as well. as playing there for a week from the 21st, both cities. You know, it's it's an area that's always loved Svengali. Funny. Well,
1: I guess, I mean, the thing is, we we, we all end up going to London for one reason or another. You know, yeah plenty of people come to London from all around the world but for us it's 2 hours on a train. Yeah. So you are kind of like you you you've it's like I guess the rest of the world sees London like we might see New York. Yeah. Do, do you know it's sort of a place to go like, to whereas I it's I, I, I
2: wanted to get that in the film as well because yeah. he leaves Wales in the morning. And he gets to London like by midday. Yeah. And, you know, in in America, to get New York, you're saying it's three days from the Midwest, whereas in, in, in Wales it's two hours. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, from yeah. Cardiff Central. So I wanted to get that involved in in a different world. You know, within two or three hours. And I was writing this. I was thinking about that when I was writing the script because obviously there's the First World War celebration. You know, not celebrations, but you know, where they, they they're talking about the history a bit, and they used yes. to say that they could hear the, the the Western Front from Kent, and they were saying that the soldiers. Used to say that it was two hours from the front to get to Calais and then to Dover. They were they were within hours home. So you can actually be in a war zone in a few hours, you know, in in the world. But people often think that things are far away. We we, we do still believe that things go on another side of the world and travel to cities. But actually, it's you know sometimes we're, we're dead close to things and we don't realise. You know, so you got the a guy waiting at a train station with a, with a with a donkey, <laughs> only two hours away from London, where it's all tubes and trains and and all sorts going on. You know.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as I can say, we I mean, we 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 have a we have this stupidly disproportionate world city in the tiniest country.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. And and, and what I wanted to do as well was, which is very, I thought, very British, was I wanted to sort of the only thing I couldn't do was obviously fly, but I wanted him sort of to be, you know he was running and he was on, on on a fucking car and then he was in a, in, in a train and then, you know, and then he was fucking on a, on a horse, every mm. mode of travel I could possibly think of based on the ground. He was, you know, doing, because that's what London's like, you know, you're always on popping up the tube stations and you're always on the go. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a really quick moving city. I always remember moving to London thinking, I don't need to. I don't need to join a gym. I never put a pound on up there. You know, it is true you don't see massively overweight people walking around London because you can't because the tubes and everything, everything was at such a pace and everybody's walking up the steps and down and down and but it's just it's a very lean city. That's what i always thought everything everything about it is fast and you know. Yeah,
1: you only have to change you only have to change tubes at, at Bank Station between the Northern Line and the Central. Yes,
0: you walk in for
2: like an hour under there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, I did, and I wanted to get capture that. There's lots of stuff where um, you know he's running around and he's well, always on the move and always on the go. I, I I kind of felt with Dixie the moment he stopped, he he was going to die. You know, I mean, the only time I took my jacket off was when he he goes to horse flat was the, the, the armor comes off at that point. You know, it's but like. That's, he, but I think
1: that's the the difference between. I mean, that's what you get beautifully when when you go back to Wales, and I certainly get this when I go back to because I live like North Manchester, not in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, you you get the sense that the world can stop for a bit.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Things slow down. We even spoke about, you know, the lad who plays the, the guy with the horse, uh, Shrek, uh, Carwin, was a very good actor. We even spoke about slowing down slightly the out of the way we speak, that the, the pace and everything has suddenly slowed down. So he's in London and and, and there's a bit where me and Roger are, are talking and a lot of people picked up that they love the rhythm of the way we speak where I'm going to him. I managed a band, you know, they were Brummies. Do you remember? Guy kept on to kill himself, threw himself under a train, set fire to him. And everybody loves the rhythm of that. But when we got back to um, Wales with Carwyn, I wanted to slow down when he goes, where you been then? London, is it? You know, they, they've all got the time in the world, you know, and that's why we put that Pogues song there, which has almost mm. got a almost like a Southern American sort of country feel to it where he's somewhere that's, you know, down and down, down. <laughs> it's like almost like you expect different music to start playing and everything slows down slightly, you know, the pace of everything slows down.
1: How and that that reminds you how much how much of the um the film's budget went on because there's some there's some classics in there. You've not Yeah, heard. I
2: mean a lot of people say it's one of the best British soundtracks ever, which is amazing because we've got everything in there from every decade from the fifties. Yeah. The noughties and I, I purposely did that, and uh, but what happened was it's a bit very similar to Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman agreed to do the film for equity minimum, hmm. which is amazing. So that means all every, every other actor sort of went the same route, but otherwise because you know you could pay you know half a million pound for Martin just to do two days and something, now, which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah, he did it for equity minimum, which is amazing. And then what happened was I asked for a song by the Who, High Numbers, hmm. called Zoot Zoot. And I had, we had to get in touch with Pete Townsend, and he agreed to do it at a really, really cheap rate to vest him, because he really liked it and he really liked the idea. Hmm. And once we said we had The Who, very similar to <coughs> Martin, all the other acts followed suit. So everybody I asked said yes. And I think because it was a film about rock and roll and it was a rock and roll comedy that looks at it with a, you know, and a kind of portrays a lot of the characters where they are, we, everybody sort of said, yeah, well, I want to be part of this. So we kind of got a lot of stuff for, well, be everything really for, for Mates Rates.
1: Excellent. In terms of shooting in London, from a practical point of view, how yeah. how easy or how hard was that in terms of pulling the film together?
2: Solid. But it was great because we got so lucky with the weather and we got so lucky with stuff like obviously we filmed in Piccadilly Circus. I mean Piccadilly Circus is as busy as Piccadilly Circus, as the saying yeah, yeah, goes. Yeah. So we were kind of going through and we did this first one, Vic, you remember where we were going, Don't look at the camera, don't look at the camera. And of course everybody we was looking at the camera. <laughs> So then we went, well, this is not working. So this is like four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, on on a, you know, a a weekend, I think it was as well. And so we just went, let's just fucking shoot. Let's just go through this and let's just, this is shoot. And we did it and nobody looked at the camera. It's amazing. So when we sort of learned that, Mm. obviously the scenes were packed solo and stuff, we just shot and we kept it quite lean. We kept it just a camera and somebody bashing behind if they were walking. And, um, you know the sound man. So it, we tried to keep it as lean as we could. So we didn't arrive with big trucks and stuff. So it was it was it was really classic guerrilla shooting. Get in, shoot it, and get out. And and that, that's what we had to do because we did try the you know you know we're going to just start shooting. It Doesn't work. People start watching. You start people asking people. Ah, people start asking for money <laughs> and so on and all those kind of classic things start happening. So we just went right. We're going to make a decision here. It's going to have to go back to what it was like with the virals where we just get a camera and shoot.
3: There's a guy in the in one of the scenes where Johnny's trying to get Dixie's trying to get directions. Oh yeah,
2: the, and the, he the, was, the black kid in he um, was Camden a real Market. Deal, wasn't he? That was true. He, I love that. We had to go to him after and sign him up. But basically, <laughs> when I say to the guy, "Do you know where Inverness Street is?" and he goes, "It's down there, brother," and I go, "Is that you selling um, CDs?" and he goes, "Yeah." And I go, "I do tapes," and I give him a tape. right on the brow of the bridge, going over the canals in Camden, that's a real guy. We had to go to him after and say to him, "Look, we're filming." he just asked you the way, are you happy to be it? He was like, absolutely. And he just signed his form. So that was real. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's
1: brilliant. Yeah. I remember that scene. That's... Yeah. Bless him. <laughs> well, look, um, let's remind everybody when the film is out. Yes. When is it
2: released? It's out on the 21st of March. And when uh, are pe- where are
1: people be- going to be able to see it already, as it
2: were? Yes, uh, people will be able to see it. It's it's, it's, it's available uh, on for, what do you call it, video on demand and stuff from the 21st as well. It's in independent cinemas. It's got a smashing independent release all around the country. I'm going to do some Q&As. I want you to come to the Manchester show on the 21st at the AMC. Sean Ryder's coming as well, so you've right. got to come to that. Um, so we're we're all over the place. Me and Vicky are hoping to do a little mini tour as well and doing Q&As and stuff and, and just getting out there to see what people think of it and hopefully they enjoy it.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, look. Well, Britflix is right behind you.
2: Oh, bless you! I certainly enjoyed it. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. As soon as they said to me Britflix, I was like, yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, well, look. Just just as a, what we like to do as well is like a recommendation. So we might, yeah. might be have a pause here while you think. Yeah. So the pair of you g- g- recommend me a British music film that you that you feel fondly about, or you okay. like, or you love.
2: Okay, good. Do you want me to go first? I'll can... go
3: first because I know which one I want, and he'll he'll know more than I do. Stone okay. Roses. <laughs> go on. Well,
2: yeah. It's This documentary, is it? Yeah,
3: Made of Stone.
2: Okay. Yeah. So do you want? It's to... the
3: best one I've ever seen.
2: How do you want to say it? Do you need to, do you need to say it sort
1: of so you can. Uh... What, what, what is it about? What is it about Made of Stone that you like a lot compared to the normal the average music film?
3: Well, what I liked about it was that I mean that the interview footage that they got obviously it's never really been seen before. Hmm. And it kind of, you know, it wasn't a kind of documentary where it was, let's talk about how they split up and how bad it all got. And, you know, it was about the fans as much as it was about the band. And, you know, obviously the shots that we used were used was sort of, you know, it was a bit of a piece of art by the time you'd finished. Yeah. So, you know, Shane obviously directed it. I'm always going to be biased, but it was one of those documents, documentaries that I watched and, you know, I kind of stood up a few times and had a little dance because I was just so engrossed in it all. Um, so yeah, that's I, why.
1: I think that's a top recommendation. What about you, Johnny? You.
2: Um, it's a very tight call for me because um, there's very little between them. But I, I was a huge fan of Saturday Night Fever, um, and I was I was a huge fan of, of what they tried to do with it, where they portrayed working class life that we would know very well, where you dress on the weekend and you you embrace those two days when you're the peacock to the local club and pub and stuff. Um, so I always loved Saturday Night Fever. I thought it was a fantastic film the great soundtrack. But I'm going to go with Quadrophenia. It obviously. had to be, really. Yeah, oh, simply because it is the most important film I've ever watched because it set me on this road to sort of where I've ended up today, really, sort of musically and film-wise. film, film wise. I I still think it's a, it's a superb film. There's so much energy in it, and it's so British, but it's so universal. The story of the teenager, you know... Um, Bless him, has that sort of out of control weekend. that sort of ends in ends in disaster for him. But you know the the whole story of you know the how he dresses, how he looks, how he goes out on the weekend. You know the, even the, the the drugs that he takes. You know mm. it's just a, it's just such a brilliant universal teenage story and 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 how fucked up we are at that age as well, full of hormones. We all are, and you know and a mess. And you know superb performances. They've all gone on to be you know some of the stalwarts of of British cinema of course, and TV yeah, yeah. for the last twenty years. It's amazing, really. But, and obviously, a soundtrack without to compare. I mean, the, that whole album, that, the way Townsend wrote, and the way that he got in the, the mind of of, of a teenager—just genius. I mean, just a brilliant, um, brilliant movie that certainly reflects the Britain that I know and love. Okay. Well,
1: look. Well, I'd say that Sven Gali is a fairly good representation of the Britain I know. So. Oh, bless you. So good luck with it, and, yep. uh, and thank you very much, for the Perry, for coming on the podcast. Thank Thank you very much Stuart and uh,
2: keep on keeping on brother we love Britflix It's
1: the Britflix.com podcast It's the Britflix.com podcast